So good to worship. Well, welcome to church. It's great to have you connecting, whether this is your first time or this is a regular experience for you. Great to have you connecting. My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and it's my privilege to take us in a moment in a journey in the Bible, looking at the life of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Let's pray before we do that. Let's just where you are, I'm going to pray on behalf of us all. Just open your hearts, maybe even open your hands as an outward expression of an open heart, and let's ask God to speak to us. Father, we thank you so much that you're with us. You're with me right here, and you're with them right there. I pray that you would speak to us just now. As we turn to Holy Scriptures, as we turn to the Bible, this amazing alive book, would you make it alive for us just now? Would you actually speak into our lives, challenge us if you need to, encourage us where you need to, take us on a journey? We invite you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, there was a, you maybe saw this TV advert, it was a few years old, and the first scene was a guy in a tattoo parlor, and he's getting a tattoo uh, with his girlfriend's name on it. And in the middle of the tattooing, he turned to the tattoo artist and said, just checking, how much is this tattoo again? And the tattoo artist said, oh, it's 50 pounds. And the guy said, oh no. And he went into his pocket and he said, I've only got 41 pounds. Anyway, it clips from that scene to after the tattoo, you see him and his girlfriend's uh, Donna outside the tattoo parlor. And his girlfriend Donna is walking away furious. And he, him shouting after her, I'll fix it, I'll fix it. And then the next thing, you see the camera pan to his arm and it says, I love you, Don. <laughs> Oops. Okay, I mean, you get what you pay for. We know that's the case in life. You get what you pay for. And do you know, I believe that God has got an incredible life for you, an incredible life for you. And, and actually, in one sense, it's a free gift from God. But in the other sense, it costs us everything. Let me take you to the moment where Jesus calls the first disciples who were fishermen to become his followers. And as you're hearing this call of these disciples, God also just now is speaking to you and to me and invites us also to become followers. Let's, let's read these verses. Matthew chapter 4. And what we're going to do, I'm just going to work through the verses and I'll read a bit, pause, say a few things, then read a bit more, pause, say a few things. Matthew 4 verse 12. When Jesus heard that John, that's John the Baptist, had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Notice Jesus moved house. He moved from Nazareth, a small town of maybe a few hundred people, to Capernaum, a large town with thousands of people on the edge of Lake Galilee. He moved. It was a strategic move. It was a gear change moment. And the arrest of John the Baptist was a signal to Jesus, something's changed. And Jesus made a shift. It was a season of change. And actually, we are living in a transition moment. You know that. Even you personally are living in a transition moment. You're living in a season change. You might not be aware of this, but an unusual number of key figurehead, the John the Baptists of our day, a number of them have just passed away. Not of COVID, but during this time of lockdown, a number of key leaders in the Christian world, the John the Baptists of our generation, have passed away. Let me give you three examples and as many more. Rabbi Zacharias, incredible apologetics uh, preacher from all over the preaches all over the world. David Pawson, 
J.I. Packer, great men of God, and, and that's just a short list, but there's many actually key leaders, have just, it's like their time has ended. And I sense we're living in a season change. Are you ready to make a move? Are you ready to shift gear? There's a season change for you, not just for the world. There's a reset for the world, but there's a season change for your life. Verse 14, let's go back to the verses. So he made this move to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Notice, notice how the verses describe people who are living uh, away from God. Notice how it describes them. It says, people living in darkness have seen a great light. In other words, darkness is someone who's living spiritually disconnected from God himself. That's hugely important for you to realize this. You might have light in other areas of your life. You might have a happy this and a happy that. But if you're not connected with God spiritually, you're spiritually in darkness. That's an important thing to realize. And God doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to bring you into light. And notice that this is a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. That the prophet from actually 700 years before that, Isaiah predicted that Jesus would come to that region and it'd be like light dawning in the darkness. And let, me, let me actually take you to that prophecy. And it's amazing. The life of Jesus was prophesied about. Over 300 prophecies accurately predicting the coming of Jesus into the world, how he would live, what he would do, how he would die, how he would rise, and the global impact that even today, 2,000 years later, we're seeing. Every detail of Jesus' life was predicted. It was planned. Let me take you to the specific prophecy in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then it goes on to tell you what that light is in verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, this child, this son, is going to be the ruler. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isn't that amazing? Isaiah is saying, hey, the light that's going to dawn in that area up in Galilee is going to be none other than God himself, mighty God, everlasting Father, is going to take on human flesh. God is going to become a man, the Prince of Peace, the Son has come. And he's going to be the ruler and he's going to have not just a kingdom, but an everlasting kingdom. Jesus Christ came as king and he still is king. He is the ultimate ruler. He is the future ruler. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let him be that to you. Isn't that amazing? You know, and I want to say to you that just as Jesus' life was planned and he made a shift in line with that plan, I need to let you know that God has a plan for your life as well. He has a very exciting plan for your life. But the negative is this. Satan also has a plan for your life. He has a counterfeit plan. And it might have resemblances to the plan of God, but it will not involve glorifying God in any way. Satan has a plan for you, but God has a plan for you. Which one are you going to choose? God has a plan, an awesome plan, a predicted plan, a plan from long ago, and he wants you to step into that plan. I remember when we started our south location, South Edinburgh, in, in the Pennycook area, 
Um, Jordan and Jody, Jordan's been leading our worship today. Jordan and Jody were really on my heart and on the heart of some of my key leaders as we were praying about starting our new church location in the south of Edinburgh. And so I took them out for lunch and I sat them down. And they'd only been believers a short time. They'd just come to faith. And uh, I sat them down and said, hey, guys, we've been praying about starting a church in the south of our city. And as we're praying about this, we really feel that I think God wants you guys to be the leaders of it. What do you think? And they were kind of stunned, but also excited. And we really sensed that I think this is of the Lord. But what I said to them is this, right? I know we're excited, but you need more than excitement. You need to know this is from God. So I encourage them, as you go from this lunch, just you need to be praying now. Okay, God, can you confirm, is this your will? So we, we went our separate ways. Later on that day, I got a phone call from Jordan. And Jordan said, Pete, uh, you'll never believe what happens. We left you for, we, we drove home. We went in the door of our house. And as we went in the door of our house, our phone rang. And it was my grandfather. My grandfather lives in the Scottish borders. And he, and he said, Jordan, I just knew I needed to phone you right now. He said, you know, I remembered something today that I'd forgotten for 62 years. He said, 62 years ago, before your grandmother and I were married, I was in a little church in the borders in Scotland. And a lady came up to me and she brought me a prophecy. And this was the prophecy. I wrote it down here. Someone is going to come into your family and they will lead people and do God's will. He said, Jordan, I forgot all about that for 62 years. And then I suddenly remembered today and I realized that's our Jordan. <laughs> so he got, I got on the phone straight away and I'm phoning to tell you this. That happened as Jordan went in the door, having been asked by me to start a church in the south of Edinburgh. Isn't that awesome? And all I'm, I'm saying that to say this. God has a specific plan for your life. I mean, listen to what it says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God, before you ever existed, had a plan for your life. Now, are you going to choose to walk in them? And it's all to do with, are you connected with Jesus? All right? There is a plan. Are you willing to do the will of God? That's a brave prayer to pray. God, okay, I'm willing to do your will. Whatever it takes, I'm willing to do your will. You might want to pray that prayer. Let's go back to the verses. Verse 18. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, Hey, why doesn't anyone call the kid Zebedee? That's a cool name. It's a Bible name. Call the kid Zebedee. Anyway, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their net, they left their boats, and their father, and followed him. I mean, that's absolutely remarkable. Now, just just to be clear in this, that kind of went against Jewish tradition. In Jewish tradition what would happen is famous rabbis wouldn't go looking for followers. Potential followers would apply to be the followers or the disciples of famous rabbis. It was an honor and a privilege, and only the best of the best would be selected. So they would make their application, they would send their CVs in, and the rabbis would select the best of the best. 
these fishermen, I mean, these, and they were probably in their late teens, early 20s, these fishermen, they certainly would never have thought or dreamt of applying to become a disciple of a rabbi. Why? Because they were uneducated, poor, uh, pretty rough at the edges, completely unqualified in every regard to become the followers of any rabbi. And yet here is Jesus, the greatest rabbi, the greatest teacher, the greatest one of all time, coming to look for them. Jesus takes risks with people like us. Okay, he takes a risk. You don't need to be perfect to become a follower of Jesus. And as you go on in the story of the Gospels and of the life of these apostles, they continue to have rough edges. And yet Jesus takes risks with imperfect people. Um, And I love this. I absolutely love it. Jesus can cope with your inadequacy, but he cannot cope with your self-sufficiency. So come humbly and say yes to that calling. And you know, I remember as a kid, I read these verses. In fact, I remember growing up in a church in Glasgow, and hearing these verses being read about, I think it was in Sunday school, the Sunday school teacher was reading out about how the disciples, they heard Jesus calling and they left their nets and their father and they, and they became followers. And I just remember, it felt so personal. It felt so And maybe as you're hearing these verses, you're thinking, would I do that? Would Jesus call me to do that? Absolutely. It's personal. He's, he's not just calling. He's, he's calling you. Can you not feel it? He's calling you and he's calling you to become his follower. And I felt that as a kid. I honestly, from a young, young age, I felt that. I thought, wow, I, I, I don't know if I'm willing to give everything and follow Jesus because I knew it's going to take all or nothing. It's not going to like dip in your toe. It's going to be, no, no I've got to take the plunge. That's what it will take to be a follower of Jesus. And I knew it as a kid. And for so long, I didn't give him anything because I knew I can't give God the dregs. If you're going to become a follower of Jesus, you've got to really become a follower. It's going to be hook, line, and sinker. I'm in. And for years, I didn't give him that. Until in my teenage years, I came to a point of decision. And I said, yes. I'd, be, I'd sensed that calling for a good long time. And I said, yes. And today, I pray that maybe if you've never done that, today, you will make the greatest decision of your life and of eternity, and you will become a follower of Jesus. It's the one decision you will never regret. I made the choice. And notice it says, these guys made the choice, and it says immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. What did the boat and the father represent? Well, the boat represented commerce. It represented their financial security. It represented their agenda, their dreams, their aspirations, their possessions. Are there any boats agendas, jobs, careers, aspirations that are holding you back from following Jesus. Time to leave your boats and follow Jesus. Let nothing get in the way of you following. And then it says, and they left their father, their nearest and their dearest, relationships, friends. Are there any relationships, any nearest and dearest, any friends that are actually holding you back? You think, man, if I followed you, what would they say? Well, hey, you've got to eternally weigh this one up. Following Jesus, eternally speaking, makes everything else pale into insignificance. Now, notice also in the verses, we're given the purpose of followers. It says, Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Other translations said, I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. In other words, from the word go, a disciple was someone who was going to help others to come and come into that relationship of also following Jesus. 
I, I don't know if there's any Trekkies out there, um, but if there's any Trekkies out there, you might remember an old episode of Star Trek called The Trouble with the Tribbles. And The Trouble with the Tribbles, and here's a kind of very corny, bad special effects photo from that episode. The Trouble with the Tribbles was the Tribbles just kept multiplying, these little furry things. Uh, they just kept multiplying and reproducing. And the trouble with the Tribbles, the Tribbles were these alien creatures that were born pregnant, okay? They were born pregnant. In other words, from the word go, their agenda was to reproduce. And they just kept reproducing and reproducing. Before you knew it, they were going to consume and fill everything, okay? And McCoy, uh, one of the actors in Star Trek, commented and said this, their only two purposes in life appear to be to eat and to reproduce, Sounds like some of you, all right? To eat and to reproduce, and they perform both of these functions exceptionally well. Trouble with the tribbles. How on earth does that have anything to do with Jesus? Well, when I think born pregnant, it reminds me of disciples. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, a follower will help others to find and follow Jesus. A follower isn't an end in itself. It's It's a part of a process that you will you will come to know him, and then you will help others come to know him. And if you're not doing that, you're not really following Jesus. And there's the challenge. Are you helping others to find and follow? When's the last time you helped someone else to find and follow Jesus? Uh, you know, if you were a gambler 2,000 years ago, back in these days, and you, were to, and you had the option to place your bets, okay, your option is this. You get to place your bets on Jesus you know, this kind of guy with long hair, beard, ex-carpenter, wore flip-flops, had a kind of motley crew following him, Jesus, or the Roman Empire with its Caesars and its infrastructure and its architecture and its armies and its, its, its financial might and its power. If you had to place the bet on which one of these two is going to last the next two millennia, I know where you'd have placed your bets, okay? However, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're calling our kids Peter, Mary, Paul, And we're calling our dogs Nero and Caesar. Hey, Jesus won. His movement has impacted the world and it has lasted. It hasn't just lasted, it hasn't just survived. Today is the fastest growing movement on planet Earth. Today the church is growing faster than any other institution on Earth. The church is alive and thriving. Followers of Jesus are becoming more and more. And why is that? Well, because Jesus didn't just ask for people to be fans. He asked for people to be followers. And followers help others find and follow Jesus. You see, this moment when they said yes to Jesus' call didn't just change their life. It changed history. It literally changed history. If you have any understanding of history, you will know that 2,000 years ago things changed on planet Earth. And they changed from the most unexceptional people obscure people, poor people, uneducated. They just were followers and associated with this great leader, Jesus Christ. And through them, a movement began that changed the world. This didn't just change their life, it changed history. When I started following Jesus as a 15-year-old, it didn't just change my life. It's actually affected thousands of people. Hey, we're talking today. I wouldn't be here talking to you today unless I'd made that choice when I was a 15-year-old. You see, it's not just about you. It's actually about the impact and the call that God's placed in your life to leave a legacy, to make a difference for the greatest cause ever, the great King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone said you can count the number of seeds in an orange. 
but you can't count the number of oranges in a seed. Just one follower who really follows, not half-heartedly, but properly. Imperfectly, yes, but not half-heartedly. You follow in Jesus, and you're helping others to find and follow Jesus. God's power will flow through you, and the movement will continue. You were designed to be a history maker. It's time to step into your calling. And you see this in the life of Jesus. And it's so amazing. He called the disciples. Let's go back to the verses, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases and those suffering with severe pain and the demon-possessed and those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. So we see it started with a few guys, but then before you knew, there was a multiplication effect and and it's still continuing today. So here's here's the question I kind of want to come into land in, in this last part of my message the question is this, how did it go for these guys? Okay, how did it go for them? Here they were, probably late teens, early 20s, and they just kind of dreamy-eyed said, okay, I'll become a follower. How did that go for them? Well, let me tell you how they all came to an end. Peter, the apostle Peter, planted many churches, saw great miracles, and eventually at the end of his life, he was arrested while Nero was the emperor of Rome. Nero was that madman. And Nero, under, under Nero, he was executed by crucifixion. Peter was crucified upside down because he felt he was not worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus. And then there was Peter's brother Andrew. Andrew preached and spread the message about Jesus far and wide. He was in the Ukraine, in Romania, Russia, Turkey, and in Edessa, northern Greece, He was arrested and he was crucified as well. And Andrew was crucified on a diagonal cross with the two, with the side and the and the foot on the ground, a diagonal. And the Scottish flag is called the St Andrew's Cross because Andrew was crucified on a diagonal cross. This young fisherman who became a follower of Jesus and preached his heart out. Then there's James. Well, you can read about him in Acts chapter 12 in the Bible. And James was beheaded by Herod, who was the governor of Judea at the time. And an historian at the time writing about the events, this is not in the Bible, this is just an historian at the time, described how he died. This is uh, Clement Alexandrius. He recorded this. As James was being led out to the place of his martyrdom, his accuser, the executioner, was brought to repent of his conduct by the apostles' extraordinary courage and undauntedness. And he fell down at his feet and requested his pardon, professing himself to be a Christian. And then the executioner, alongside James, were both beheaded. Isn't that amazing? So as James was being led out to be executed, the executioner, looking at James, thinking, this guy's not faced. He's full of peace and joy. He's got God in his life. I want God in my life. And do you know what? He took the riskiest step and he got down on his knees with James, the guy he was meant to execute. And he gave his life to Jesus. And he with James, was beheaded. (laughs) And then there's John, James's brother. John planted churches all over the place in Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Thyatira, and eventually he was arrested in Ephesus and taken to Rome. And there in Rome, he he was given the death sentence and he was put in a cauldron of boiling oil. This is one of the ways Romans tortured criminals to death. But he survived. 
but utterly miraculously. It's kind of like the Daniel and it's, it's, it's sorry, Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace kind of experience. He survived the bo- boiling oil, and history tells us that he was domination, who was the emperor at the time, didn't know what to do with him, freaked out largely by this guy who survived this execution. And he said he banished him and he put him in exile on the island of Patmos. And it was there John actually had his greatest influence. He wrote the book of Revelation and the world was changed through that book. So that's how it went for those guys. That's how it went for them. I know we're enjoying shops being open again. And I, I, everyone likes shopping, but you ladies in particular, certainly the girls in my life really like shopping. And I, when you're out shopping... Um, you girls, you look in the shop window and there you see that dress. You think, that's a dress. And you go into the shop and you get, what do you do? Well, you go up and get the dress, you get it off the rail. And then what do you look at? You look at the price tag. Then what do you do? You put it back on the rail. <laughs> and then you can't just walk out the shop straight away, all right? You've got to pretend like, oh, I wasn't that bothered, really. So you kind of look at a few things, just try da 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 And then when you feel like a suitable period has passed, then you can walk out the shop without embarrassment. What happened there? Okay, here's what happened there. You thought you wanted it until you saw the price tag. <laughs> and then you thought, mm, nah, I don't really want it anymore. I don't really want it anymore. Well, here's my question. Here's my question. These disciples, was it worth it? In fact, if I was to ask those disciples, Peter, uh, Andrew, James, and John, hey guys, was it really worth it, becoming a follower of Jesus? I, let me just, I'm just making this up now. Here's what I think. I'm pretty certain... In fact, I'm absolutely certain this is what they would say if they could answer that question. So guys, was it really worth it? You left your career as a teenager and you ended up dying in this horrible death. Was it worth it? And I think this is what they would say. To get to spend time with Jesus, those three years, to get to walk with him. Hear what he said? Man, we were on the edges of our seats. You should hear what he said. You see, I mean, you should have seen him when he called to task the religious leaders who were hypocrites. He was fearless, utterly fearless. His words were carried power and impact. They were, I mean, they illuminated God to us. It was life-changing. You should see how he lived. Man, he just got alongside the poorest of the poor. He, got, he went to the parties of all the people you'd never go to their parties. And he, he became the friend of sinners. And that, he became, had a reputation for that. But you could see he just oozed God's love for all people, no matter what their background or who they were. Incredible. And boy, oh boy, we got to see the miracles. We saw him opening blind eyes. We saw people who couldn't walk walking. We saw him multiply bread. We saw him walking on water. Do you know what? We were there when Lazarus, who had been dead several days and placed in a tomb, came out of the tomb wrapped in graves clothes. We were there. We saw their faces. We saw Lazarus' face when you unwrapped him and the joy in his face. We were there. And we were there when Jesus Christ was crucified. We saw him go to the cross. It was the least thing we expected. But you should have seen him. You should have seen him. Just gave forgiveness to people. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, he gave salvation to the thief dying beside him on the cross. And when he breathed his last, there was, a t- there was an earthquake. You could feel it. And there was a darkness that covered the sky. It went far and wide. Incredible. And we were shaken to the core of our being. And then the third day, on the third day, we saw Jesus Christ. We saw him die. But now we saw him alive. He was alive and we couldn't deny it. We thought we had lost all, but actually he was everything he claimed to be. In that moment, we realized everything he said, everything he did was 100% true. All the prophecies predicting that God was going to come and that he was going to be the ultimate king. Yes, it's true. All of a sudden we knew it was true and we knew we had given ourselves to the, the king 
and we knew we were part of the greatest movement this world has ever seen. Yeah, so we stayed in Jerusalem like Jesus told us to do. And then when Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit's power came and filled all us disciples. And all of a sudden, he who we've been following was now in our hearts by his spirit. And before we knew it, the same miracles we'd seen Jesus performing, we were now seeing happening. And we were going all over the place, seeing this movement, the church, explode and grow in Jerusalem and Judea and zooming out beyond into the surrounding regions around the Mediterranean. Incredible. Was it a burden to tell people about him? You kidding? (laughs) You kidding? We had just found the ultimate answer to man's sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. You kidding? You think it was a burden to tell people about the greatest news ever? I mean, we would have been selfish not to tell the whole world. And I know by telling, we put ourselves at risk. I get it. We were misunderstood. We were insulted. We were brought before uh, Jewish high courts. We were brought before Gentiles courts. We experienced stonings and attacks and threats. I get it. But we had just been given the greatest news on earth and we wanted to tell the whole world. Do I regret it? Not for a second. (laughs) Not for a second. I love that hymn. It was written in the early 1900s and it says this. If I had a thousand lives to live, I'd live live each one for you. If I had a thousand hearts to give, I would give each one to you. December uh, 1857, David Livingston, Scottish missionary to Africa. He'd been a missionary and it was, it was rough going. And then he came back for periods to the UK. And when he was back in the UK for that period, he gave a, a talk to some Cambridge University students. And in the talk, he, people were asking, are you not freaked out about the idea of going back to Africa? Because you know what awaits you. Is it not such a huge sacrifice? And this is what he said this. He said this. For my own part, I never cease to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of sacrifice. I make in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward of healthy activity, the consciousness of doing goods, peace of mind and bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering or danger. Now and then foregoing the most most common conveniences and the charities of this life. All of these are nothing when compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. I never made a sacrifice. No regrets. It costs a lot to follow Jesus. You can't give him half. You've got to give him everything. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Now listen, don't get me wrong. Not everyone needs to leave their career and leave their family and become missionaries and church planters and die as martyrs. Some will, but not everyone needs to do that. It might mean that you're a mum, you're an accountant, you're an artist, you're a gardener, you're a bus driver, you're a plumber. It might mean you serve in your church and you help with the food bank. It might mean you you, you are leading a small group. It might mean that you're a generous giver. It's nothing to do with how dramatic your life looks. It's to do with behind the scenes, there is a fire burning in your soul that says, I'm his, 100%. You think you lose out? No chance. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 29, 
Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or father or children or fields for me. And by the way, Jesus in other places continually encourages us to love our family, to love our family, to love our kids and, and be the best parents and be the best siblings. So he's not, so it's to do with comparably speaking, God is more important than every other relationship. No one who has left homes or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me or for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. That's it there, in a nutshell. You can't outgive God. You give your everything to God. I'm telling you what. Yeah, see, I thought I was I was holding on to my life. I was holding on to it so tightly, this small life that I had. And because my hands were so tightly wrapped around my small life, my hands weren't freed to embrace the big life that God had for me as a gift. And only when I released my small life and said, okay, I'll follow, could then I embrace the big life that God has. Not a life free from challenge. Jesus said, with persecution, absolutely. But it's absolutely worth it. So it's time to give up moderate, wishy-washy, on-the-fence Christianity. You know who you are. Get with it. Come on. Stop giving him half. Give Jesus everything. He gave everything for you, and he loves you more than you will ever know. Give him everything. And maybe today, maybe you're here and you've, you've never decided to follow Jesus. Today's the day. Jesus comes to you and he calls you, follow me. Will you make the shift? Will you take the step? Will you make the shift? It's your time. It's a season of change and this is your moment. Let's pray and respond to God just now. Lord, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus Christ. You've never been more glorious. You who came into this world to save sinners like us. Thank you. You still love us. Thank you. You're alive and thank you. Your death and resurrection saves and causes forgiveness and causes transformation in lives. Thank you so much, Lord. And thank you, Jesus, you're risen from the dead, conquered Satan, sin and death. And in Jesus, we have salvation in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you're so worthy of following, whether it was 2,000 years ago or today in 2020. And Lord, I just pray for everyone connecting today, Lord, that every single one of them will make a shift in their heart And we'll make that choice, the best choice ever, to become followers or to get back on track with following you, Lord Jesus Christ. Give them the courage right now to do that, to let go of that life and embrace the big life, to embrace the God life, to embrace a life that's not about them, but a life that's about God. I pray that in Jesus' name. Now, just while you're praying, just take a moment to pray your own prayers, make your own decisions. While we're praying, if you're here today, and you've never made that choice to become a follower of Jesus, this is your moment. Or if you made that choice in the past, but you've walked away, it's time to get back on track and God's calling you to get back on track. This is your moment. Pray this prayer with me just now. Under your breath, repeat after me. Dear Lord God, thank you so much for loving me. Jesus, thank you for coming into the world to call people like me and to save people like me. Jesus, I believe you did die on the cross to save me from my sins. And I believe you are alive, risen from the dead. And today, I make a choice. I will follow you. Be Lord of my life from this day forward. Forgive me for all my sins. Transform me from the inside out. I'm yours. Thanks for hearing my prayer 
and accepting me today. Amen. Wow. If you've prayed that prayer, as I know many of you have, God has just heard your prayer and you've started on the greatest journey of your life. Now it's a journey and this is step one. In one sense, you've already arrived. You're accepted, you're saved. But in the other sense, this is a journey you've got to work in life and that's where church comes in. Let us help you on this journey. If you've made that decision, if you're on the platform, let the team who are there know you've made that decision. Click the request prayer button. If you're on Facebook or YouTube or listening to the podcast in retrospect, get in touch with us, email us, let us know, message us. We want to help you grow in your faith and connect with church and become all that God wants you to be. God bless you. Let's now go into a time of worship.